Revelation 11, let's go! <laughs> this is fun. Now, also, what is significant about the number 11 when it comes to Revelation? Yes, it's the middle of the book. And... She does get a prize. And I think that... Um, it was on the back of Gabriel. <laughs> and that was your prize. Um, and there, this is actually the, the, when I first was looking at it, I was, I was daunted, if I'm going to be honest, which, which I am. And I, and then the more that we've been studying it, the like, the more excited I am about this chapter and the principles of it. So, um, where we started was, okay, so we are going to, let's, let's back up a little bit and just review where we're at in the overall structure of the book. So which, which set of seven are we, are we in right now? Six. Uh, we're in the, we're in the sixth set. trumpet. Yeah. We're in the sixth trumpet. So the trumpets started sounding. And I, I had a thought. I tried to commune, or I tried to like explain this to Allison, and she wasn't that impressed. But uh, I'm going to ask you guys what you think about it. Because um, I was thinking about the seven seals and then the seven trumpets. And I was like confused. Not, not yeah, she was confused, and I couldn't, I couldn't get it across. So I'm trying again. So we'll see if it works. <laughs> so you're gonna confuse us? Probably, probably. Maybe I'll explain. I'm already confused. Yagner's <laughs> like, you can't make me more confused than I am. Um, the seals. The purpose of a seal is what? Two seals open up. Yeah. So to to. Uh, to close it up, to, well, to show the authority and to close it up, right? And I was thinking about how the seven seals, there was like um, conquest and, and war and famine and, um, and people dying for the name of the Lord and death and hell and, and then a big earthquake in the sixth seal. And, I, and, and each, as each one is being opened off the scroll, these things is John seeing each one of these things as it's happening. And I was thinking about, like, why seals? Why seals? And, and I was like, maybe these are things that keep people from understanding, like, the overall plan of God. You know what I mean? Like, Sister Kay's nodding, so I'm feeling pretty good about this now. Keep the secret until <laughs> one veil yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like we, we want to know what's in the scroll. We want to know God's will. We want to know God's plan. And then we look at the world and we see famine or we see war or we see natural disasters like earthquakes, like acts of God, you know? And we're like, well, how could God have any plan in that? How could he have any plan in the people who were dying that were under the altar, you know, saying, how long, oh Lord? And so I was thinking, like, maybe that's why one of the reasons that he refers to them as seals. Like, these are things that keep keep people from seeing what, what he's doing. Well, and you just foreshadowed chapter 11. What? I didn't even know I was doing that, but that's so appropriate. <laughs> so that's one thing I thought. And then the trumpets, we, what it made me think of it was the, the purpose of a trumpet is to get people's attention, right? It's to bring warning. It's to sound the alarm. It's to let you know that a battle's about to happen or whatever. So the seven trumpets, which are like partial judgments, are like you know a third of a third of all these different parts of creation and then men are being tormented but not dying and then finally a third part of men is dying and then um and so they're they're warnings sounds you know the the and now 11 really is like a turning point 
in the book because we're going to see, well, I don't know if we'll see it tonight, but if in 11, the seventh trumpet finally sounds, but we're still in the middle of the sixth trumpet. So in the sixth trumpet, it started with the four angels at the river Euphrates being loosed and that, that army of uh, horsemen with, you know, and it talked about the, the horses that breathed out fire and smoke and brimstone and a third of people were killed by all that. And then, and then there was that, that little intermission, you know, where the angel starts singing. No, where there, the angel stands um, with his foot on the sea and the land, and he's clothed with all these images that are related to God's presence, and he has the open book in his hand, and he gives it to John to eat. And he says, eat this, because you're going to have book? the book. Yeah. And you don't remember that part? You're kidding me. I forget things all the time. So why and why did John have to eat the book? You think? Oh, that's right. Because he's like, it is the word of God. Sorry, guys. I get excited. No, I'm glad. I get excited too. Yeah, because it's like the word. It's like the knowledge. Yeah, yeah. And he was internalizing it. He was putting it inside of him. And then he's told he's going to prophesy again. And then after he eats the book, he's given something else. What was that? And I know we spent a long time in the last two Bible studies talking about this, so I'm not going to go crazy. Don't worry, Sister Melinda. I see the skepticism in your eyes. But what is he given in addition to that? A reed. Yep, a reed like a rod, a measuring reed to measure the temple. Oh, Remember? that's a rod. It was. It was a reed. Well, it was a reed like a rod, it says. What's a reed and a rod? What's the difference? Um, it's just two different. It's like a rod is more sturdy and a reed's more, more bendable. Oh. But the reed, the reed, it was a measuring reed, but he says it was a measuring reed like a rod. Oh, I thought like the rod was like the one thing like is the it, shepherd it, is had. It yeah. Like hollow? Is it like hollow? The reed's like hollow and... Could have been. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it was, it was like something that they used to... It was like a yardstick, you know, yeah. that he was given. It's something that they used to measure things with. So it was a certain length and they would use it to measure. And he's given it to measure the temple of God. But I like that is the difference between a reed and a rod the way we think of it. So it very well could have been. But um, he's given the reed to measure the temple of God and the altar, and the worshipers, right? Um, but not the outer court. He says, leave that out, because that's given to the Gentiles to trample underfoot for 42 months, right? So we spent a lot of time talking about that and, um, and how in Scripture there's a lot of times where, uh, well, there's several books, Ezekiel, Zechariah, and Revelation. It happens twice where the temple is measured, and there's this, like, uh, implication like does it measure up? Do does the in Ezekiel does the house of Israel um, fit the pattern that God intended? Show them the pattern. Show them what God intended so that they may be ashamed. So John is here measuring the temple and the worshipers and the altar, but he's leaving out the outer court. And there's this understanding that the the Gentiles, the nations, are trampling the outer court and the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And in the midst of that trampling, there's two witnesses that God gives power to. And these two witnesses, what did we, what did we learn about them last time? Oh, yeah, the they angels? Fire. They breathe fire. <laughs> but, do, do you, um, did you guys identify who at least one of them is? Because there's No, what we're doing, we're not going to identify them, but we're going to follow the clues 
and show the illusions. He does have theories, though. Well, wait a minute. Doesn't it go... Uh, Zachariah... Malachi, doesn't he talk about... Uh, Sending Elijah? Is that what you're talking about? Well, yes, he does. But... I do, let's talk about that. But let's talk about that in a second, once we've established the parallel. Yeah, so the two witnesses, they breathe fire, and it says if anybody's going to try to hurt them, then that's how they got to be killed, <laughs> which is a, an interesting statement. And they, they breathe fire, and we looked up in Jeremiah how God had told Jeremiah that he was going to make the words of his mouth fire, and this people would, and it was going to devour them. And it was in contrast to the false prophets, who they breathe out wind, and it doesn't have any real effect, but Jeremiah's words are going to be like fire. And so um, these witnesses, they, they, uh, fire comes out of their mouth. And it's interesting because we already saw fire coming out of the mouth of those horses too, fire, brimstone, and smoke, right? And so here's these two witnesses and they, and fire comes out of their mouth. And what else? What else did we learn? They prophesied a thousand two hundred and three score days. Right. So yes, a thousand... 203 score days, which is three and a half years. Yeah, so there's a trampling underfoot for 42 months. They prophesy for 1,260 days. Those are the same periods of time. And we did talk about this a little bit last week, but um, why, what is the significant, other than that just being the amount of time that it happens, what is the significance of that, of that amount of time? It's half of seven. Half of seven, yeah. So it's an incomplete seven, right? Three and a half years. Yeah, three and a half years is, um, and it's it's used that's used in Daniel a lot, and we'll we'll go to the places in Daniel where it's used when the specific phrase is is brought up, but um, but yeah, so three and a half. That's that's halfway to seven, which is completion, right? And so that's significant. That's significant. That three and a half number, um, and so why? So these two witnesses, they're that's how long they're prophesying. What else? What else did we learn? They have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. Yes. And so that was one of the things. So both the fire and the ability to shut heaven so it doesn't rain make us think of Elijah, right? And that's what we were talking about a little bit last week. Because Elijah, that's a, how we, how long did he shut up the heavens? So, well, you know, how long did he, did the Lord shut up the heavens? But three Elijah was the one. Yeah, it was three and a half years that it didn't rain in Elijah's time when there was that drought. And then at the end of that three and a half years, he prayed and the heaven gave rain again, the Bible says. Um, so that's a pretty significant parallel. <laughs> what, what else did we learn? They gave plagues. Oh, the plagues. Yeah, yes. Sorry, I, th- I was mishearing you. Yeah, so they're able to smite the earth with all plagues. And so who does that make us think of? Moses. Moses, right? That's what it makes me think of. Um, it, also, specifically... Um, yeah, they have power to over waters to turn them to blood, which that's a really direct parallel to Moses, right? Um, the, uh, the fire coming uh, and devouring the enemies, that's another parallel to Elijah because um, we, I think we talked about this a little bit, but when Ahaziah was sending messengers to arrest Elijah, he's like, if I'm a man of God, then fire is going to come and destroy your men. And so that's what happened to a company of 50 men twice. And then the third guy was like, please don't. <laughs> I, I have a family or whatever. That's not what he said. But he's like, I'm just doing my job. Just let me. And so, uh, and so we do see this, 
the power of Moses and Elijah, right? The, that's what these guys have. They have the power of Moses and Elijah, these two witnesses. But that's not the only ones they're compared to because of verse four. Who else, what else are they compared to? Olive trees. The two olive trees, yeah. So the two anointed ones from Zechariah 4. Remember in Zechariah 4, we have the candlestick and the two olive trees on either side, like pumping in oil. And uh, he says, these are the two anointed ones are the sons of fresh oil that stand before the Lord of all the earth. And in Zechariah's day, I think that would have been referring to Zerubbabel and Joshua, who was the high priest and the, the descendant of David. But these two witnesses are also compared to them, right? And they're also called the two lampstands, which earlier in Revelation, we saw the church being compared to the two lampstands. And so <clears throat> what... Uh, what I was getting excited about as I was thinking about this last week, in this, I, I wasn't even like fully comprehending it until the end of Bible study, but um, a lot of this language about these two witnesses is similar to language about the church, right? Even, even that first sentence, I will give power to my two witnesses. Well, Jesus said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be what? Witnesses, right? He, uh, he says that, um, that we are supposed to be lampstands, right? We're, you are the light of the world, he says. We, he, there's supposed to be an anointing that's on us, right? We're supposed to uh, have that same anointing that Christ had. Um, and so as we're looking through this, I want us to, to draw the principle, because it's, it, it's one thing to be like, well, I'm no... I'm not one of these guys because they're breathing fire and, uh, you know, <laughs> shutting up the heavens and stuff. And yet the power isn't coming from them anyway, right? The power is coming from the same God that we serve, right? And so it's not like these are just um, completely set apart category. This is the same language he uses to, to talk about his church. And so I want us to make sure we're, we're not just seeing this as a separate story, but we're going to draw out the principles of what, what's in here for our own lives, okay? And I think it's really cool that this happens right in the middle of Revelation. And, um, and it is significant that during the time that the Gentiles are trampling down the holy city, there's these two witnesses during that same time period that are prophesying, right? Um, Do you think that they might be trampling it down because they hear the prophesying? Well... Or do you think, like, do you think one is causing the other? Or are they prophesying because people are trampling? I don't know, but I, I, do, I do like that it's happening at the same time because God is, he has a witness in the earth in the midst of the trampling, you know? Like in, in the middle of this hardship, in the middle of this, uh, and it's, it's not the temple itself that's being trampled, it's the outer court and it's the holy city, right? So that's important too. But even as that's happening, there is these two witnesses that are standing for God, right? What is what is the whole job of a witness? Oh, what is it? Uh, were you saying something? It's like two words in one or something. Yeah, it's to represent the word. The, you're talking about the word. What the word witness means? Because you were talking about it last time, weren't you? Yeah. Well, and I, yeah, I'm going to bring that up here in a second. So they tell. Yeah. yeah. They, they tell, tell what? what? They tell what is. Oh, back the witness, and so they're telling the dog what you know. The prophet happening. The prophesying. Yeah, so they're prophesying, but uh, the the very definition of the word—it's interesting. He uses the word witness because a, a witness is somebody that's seen something and is telling about it, yeah. right? Or that knows something and is bearing witness to that fact, or bearing or making a testimony to that fact. 
So like Peter and John, uh, they are, they're telling everybody about Jesus. Jesus tells them, you're my witnesses. And so they're telling everybody what they, and then the high priest is like, hey, you got to stop talking about Jesus. And they're like, all we can talk about is what we've seen and heard, right? right? <laughs> they were witnesses, right? We, they're like, we're witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Ghost, whom God's given to them that obey him. You see these signs and wonders happening. And so these witnesses, and the Lord told Israel, he's like, you are my witnesses, saith the Lord. You're my servant that I've chosen because they had seen all the things that God had done and they were supposed to bear witness of that in the earth. And he's like, and you're not doing your jobs in, in Isaiah when he's talking about that. In, uh, and in the book of Acts, obviously, the church is supposed to be his witnesses in the earth. Jesus is the faithful and true witness, right? We can trust what he says. And these, these witnesses, um, they are prophesying on behalf of God, right? That's what the word prophesy means. They're speaking God's words. They're, they're representing him, like Jessica said. They're, uh, they're standing witness. And I, I think it's cool, too, the fact that it's two. Yeah, and I, I mentioned this last week, but why two? witnesses because you have to have two or more uh witnesses to tell something because you have to have uh actually so it just can't be it just can't be one or has to be at least two yeah, yeah. and it's back in the mosaic law yeah. yes yeah in order to determine guilt it had to be in the mouth of two or three witnesses right it can't be one it has to be two or three and so it's interesting that we have these two witnesses and they are prophesying, you know, in, in this, and they're all the things. And it's interesting too, it's, they, they have the power of Moses and Elijah and think about who was bearing witness to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was Moses and Elijah, right? On the Mount of Transfiguration, he, he kind of peels back the curtain and the disciples see him shining like the sun and they see Moses and Elijah up there. And the Bible actually tells us they were talking about what he was going to do in Jerusalem, right? And so, why Moses and Elijah? Well, I mean, they have a similar thing with how Elijah goes up in a chariot of fire into heaven. Moses goes up in the mountain and nobody knows where he's buried only because God is the one who buried him. And then they appear on this mountain. But it's cool because Moses represents what? The law and Elijah represents the prophets. And so Jesus has the witness of the law and the prophets there to bear witness to what he's going to do. And he tells the Pharisees this. He goes, if you had searched the scriptures, you wouldn't already know about me because the law and the prophets and the Psalms testify concerning me, right? They're, they have witness. They bear witness to me. And so, um, so yeah, none of that is like an accident. But now, so before we read the next verse, let's go to Malachi 4 to look at what Kay was talking about. Malachi chapter 4. Malachi 4, 5. Yes. This is the bonus round. <laughs> um, I want to start earlier, though. Well, where did, uh, that, it, I like how you always say that. Where did you grab that? What is the scripture for Moses, though? For what? The verse before that. Well, it says. So, well, let's read. Let's just read the whole chapter because it's pretty short. It's six verses. <laughs> Uh, who wants to start? Okay. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Okay, so judgment is depicted as a fire that's going to burn up like the enemies oven. of the Lord, like an oven, like stubble. Okay. 
Keep going. <laughs> unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And there's so much coolness in there, but we got to keep going. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. In the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. And here we have a little bit of a contrast, because in Revelation, the, the Gentiles are trampling down the outer court. But here he's saying, you will trample them down, and they'll be like ashes under your feet. But there's, there's clearly a, a tension between, because the two witnesses... They're, they seem pretty invincible, you know? They're burning up their enemies with fire, you know? So there, there's, this, there's this strength. Let's keep going. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgment. Okay, remember the law. This is, this is, the, this is the homecoming stretch of the Old Testament. Like, it's almost over. There's, there's about to be 400 years of silence. Here's the last words. Remember the law. Remember Moses. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Okay, so before the Lord comes back, Elijah will come. The day before the Lord arrives. No, before the coming of the day of the Lord. Before the day of the Lord. It doesn't say the day before. Yeah. Unless it doesn't hear. So is it before, like the day before, or like? No, before the day, before the day of the Lord. Okay, keep going. (laughs) And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with the curse. Okay, so the law and the prophets. Remember the law, and I'm sending you the prophet Elijah. But then we go into Matthew 17. So go now go forward one book. We're, we're going forward in time, 400 years. Okay. Is that Hebrew and the Bible, both of them ended with Malachi? No, the, uh, no. the Hebrew, the, the Jews end it with Second Chronicles. But, but chronologically, Malachi was the last prophet. But just the Old Testament, the, the way that the Jews have it structured is in Second Chronicles today. Matthew what? Matthew 17. Yeah. Do they have the minor prophets? It's just yeah, they do. They do. They're just earlier. Yeah. Okay. In the scroll, in the order of the scroll. And on, like in Jesus' day, it's not that they had an order because they had all the different scrolls. So you can read it in any order. In order yeah. But now when they print it, they print it with Chronicles last. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of cool the way they, the structure of it is kind of cool. And Jesus kind of alludes to it because it's the, um, the law are the first five books like we have. And then the prophets are... They include the historical books as part of the prophets, and then they have the writings, which begin with the Psalms, and that actually, but that ends with Chronicles. Um, they, they, they consider Chronicles part of the writings because it was written after the exile, but it's cool because Jesus says, after he rises from the dead, he's like, um, the law and the prophets and the Psalms, uh, they all testify concerning me, what I quoted earlier, and he's referencing those three sections that they had. That's, that's where the term Tanakh comes from, the ta is Torah, the nah is the, uh, the whatever the word for prophet is in Hebrew that starts with an N. And then the, the last part, the ketuvim, is the writings, Tanakh. It's, a, it's an acronym. So. That was for free. That didn't have to do with Revelation, but it was fun. Matthew 17, and this is um, when 
this is the Mount of Transfiguration. So let's read verses 2 and 3. Sister Melinda, do you want to read those? And was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias taking with him. Okay, and that's, and that's uh, Elijah in uh, Greek. <laughs> and then uh, let's go down to verse 9, and let's read 9 through 13. Who wants to read next? And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man is risen again from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias can come first? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elijah is come already, and they knew not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall the Son of Man suffer of them. And the disciples understood, and they spake unto them of John the Baptist. Okay, so what do we see there? What's going on? Well, Elijah has to come first to put everything in order. And, and then, then Jesus tells them, so that, yeah, and the, and the disciples are like, well, it's pretty clear that you're the, the son of righteousness with healing in his wings that Malachi was talking about. But, I'm, but they were confused because they're like, well, Elijah has to come first before you come, before the, the oh, Lord so comes. So there's a false prophet? Or what? Well, so that's, that's what they're wondering. They're like, it's, well, that's not what Jesus says, though. Jesus says, so they say, why do the scribes teach that Elijah has to come first? Like, where, where is he at? What, isn't he supposed to be here? And Jesus says, he, he, he will come first and restore all things. And uh, I'll let you in on a secret. He's actually already been here. And uh, they did whatever they wanted to him, and they didn't realize that it was him. And the Son of Man's going to have to suffer the same way. And, and then, and I don't know how they drew this conclusion, but they did. <laughs> they, this is, then they understood what, what, what was Jesus talking about. John the, Baptist. John the Baptist. So it's interesting. Jesus teaches that that prophecy in Malachi was fulfilled in John the Baptist for Jesus to come. So he's saying Elijah isn't, when they refer to him, not him as a physical being, but just what he represents. Right. right. Because what's interesting about John the Baptist is that the Pharisees come and when he's baptized and they're like, hey, why, why are you baptizing? Who gave you the authority for this? And, and uh, they're like, are you, are you the pro that prophet that Moses said was going to come? He's like, no. And they're like, are you Elijah? And he's like, no. And he's like, are you the Messiah? No. And they're like, who are you? And he's like, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, you know? So, he's like, so what he's saying there is he's not the actual person, but the angel that prophesied Gabriel, remember when Gabriel told his dad that John the Baptist was going to be born? He tells him he will come in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn, and he quotes that, and the angel quotes that verse in Malachi. So we know he's talking about that prophecy. He's like, to turn the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children. So, uh, so, so yes, like what you're saying is that it's not the actual person. John the Baptist wasn't like a reincarnate Elijah, but he comes in that spirit and power mm -hmm. of Elijah. So, yeah. So then the two witnesses, they come in the spirit and power of 
Moses and Elijah. Yeah, yeah. at the very least, that's what they do. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and I'm not even saying that they're not for sure Moses and Elijah, but I am saying that at the very least, we need to follow those clues back and say, well, they are coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. And I, and I think the fact that he's referencing Moses and Elijah is cool because, because of the law and the prophets angle, you know? He's like, just like God has always had witnesses in this earth, so right? there's always prophets, there's always signs. Yes, yeah. And, and there is a role that we need to fulfill yeah. as well in that, in that same realm, right? We don't, we need to not just wait for the two witnesses to come or wait for Elijah to come. We need to be that witness. We need to, we need to fulfill that role. Spiritually? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and, uh, Right. And it's, and it's, it is, it's fascinating that, um, in this time at the end, which he references that 1,260 days, which is like a reference back to, uh, to Daniel, right? Well, and it's not an exact reference because Daniel talks about the 1,290 days and he's talking about the resurrection is going to happen. There's going to be a time of trouble like was never before. Michael, stand up. And, they, and there's the question from the angel on the waters, right, that swears by him who lives forever and ever. He's like, how long till this happens? And he says, 1,290 days, which that's, that's an interesting, that's so close. That's so interesting how close it is, right? It's 30-day it's difference. So, okay. Is anybody lost? Are we still on track? <laughs> I like to think Are we still on track? So we've clarified the principle of the two witnesses. Okay, so verse 7. Let's keep reading what happens with these two witnesses, because this part is This fantastic. is the fun part. This is yes. where a fun saying comes in forever. Yeah, so let's read verses 7 through 10. They finish their testimony. The beast that ascends, ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. The beast, huh? And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, spiritually, where also are where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put in grave. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because those two prophets tormented those who dwell on earth. Whoa. So it's saying, the bad people are going to die? No, these two witnesses are going to die. The good guys are going to die. Yeah. Oh! Isn't that crazy? That's how it goes in this world. That's how it goes in this world. That is how it goes in this world. Yeah. I mean, look at what they did to Jesus. Yeah, exactly. It's very similar. Yeah. Well, and your mom last time, you were talking about three and a half days that Jesus died. Mm -hmm. And back then, they wouldn't bury someone for three days. Yeah. In case they weren't dead. Yeah, yeah. And so they would put a bell on them. And oh, that's right. Yeah, you said that. So you guys have heard, did you say that? Say by the bell? No, we, uh, uh, a long time ago. Yeah, I didn't yeah. That's where that comes from. That wow. is right. Say by the bell. 
They used to oh, put it on where their butt or their hand. I can't remember. Wasn't it the toe? Or yeah, something. But say by the bell, that's how old is saying this. Yeah, so, uh, and it's interesting because, like, we see Jesus after he rises from the dead, and then Lazarus um, after the four days. Remember, Martha's like, don't open the tomb, Jesus. He's, he's, it's been four days. He's going to stink. Like, yeah, because they believe that, you know, at four days, then the body's going to start composing and then it's all over. Like hope, hope is lost at that point. Don't even try. You know, that was kind of the mentality. And so they, while, so Jesus waited long enough for hope to be lost, you know, and then he came and raised Lazarus from the dead, which oh, is pretty cool. Point. He was, yeah, definitely he was. Classic Jesus. Classic Jesus. And so, uh, so yeah, so here, um, and, and I loved last, I was listening to uh, the Bible study, and I started laughing because somebody was like, after we had read this part about, um, uh, I, I said it casually like everybody knew, I was like, and then when they die, and somebody goes, they die? And uh, like with all that power, they die, you know? And, um, and it is like shocking because it says they if anybody tries to harm them, then they can breathe fire out of their mouth and kill them, you know? And they can shut the heavens and smite the earth with plagues as often as they will. And yet somehow they still die, you know? They still die. And how do they die? And well, just what, what other observations can we make about this, uh, this part, verses 7 through 10? They're they're, they're, they're they finish their testimony. Oh, that's good. So they finish their testimony, she said. They finished their testimony. That's that's significant, right? Yeah, it's like some, I guess kind of similar to Jesus too. Yeah. On the cross, he said, "I just finished and that's my death." Yeah, yeah. He's kept it. There was throughout the Gospels, Jesus keeps saying, "My hour is not yet come. My hour is not yet come." And then there's a point where he says, "The hour has come," <laughs> and then he dies. <laughs> you know. Then that's encouraging because God protects these witnesses. So Until their testimony's finished. How long was he dead again? Three days, right? Three days, yeah. That's crazy. How, like, that makes me think, so we do, like, have to go through the cycle. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, I, yeah. Wonder, I kind of, like, wonder what that cycle is like. There is this um, understanding that we shouldn't be shocked if there's a death being the two, you know, being because we're being his witnesses, right? They were, they were the Lord's witnesses, and they have so much power and yet they still die, you know? They still die, and, the, uh, and it seems that this beast wins, right? It looks like the beast won. Like, there's this tension for 42 months. They're trampling down the holy city. But here's these two witnesses, and they can't be stopped. And then the beast comes. And where does the beast come from? The bottomless pit, right? The same place those crazy locust things came from, right? So this beast from hell, right? And we, this is the first time we've seen this, this word, the beast, in Revelation. And we're going to learn more about the beast. But it is interesting. The beast from hell is able to kill them when their testimony is finished. Make, he makes war against them and overcomes them and kills them. And, and we're going to see later on. It says uh, that he's given power over the saints to make war against them and overcome them and kill them in chapter 13. Uh, so sorry, spoiler alert. But that's kind of unsettling if that, that's the end of the story, right? If that's the end of the story, then we're like, oh, man, well, that's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stand as a witness for Jesus, and then the beast is going to win? And overcome, that's what overcome means, right? And kill them? And um, the word witness, this is where I'm going to bring that back up. 
What is the Greek word for witness? Martyr. Martyr, right? Yeah. It's martis, which is where we get our word martyr. Yeah. So that's what a witness is. It's, uh, you know, a martyr is a witness. That's, that's, the, that's the definition. And so um, their dead bodies lie in the street and, and people, ref- they, they won't bury them, but not because they're hoping they're going <laughs> to wake up. They won't bury them because they're, they're gloating over them, yeah, right? They, the people of the world are excited that they're dead. They're, they're having a Christmas party over their death, right? They're sending gifts to each other and they're merry and they're, they're pretty happy about this. I'm just, that's what it sounds like. I'm just, <laughs> I'm not saying it is Christmas. I'm just saying they're, they're celebrating like Christmas. You know what I mean? <laughs> no. Can you imagine just like just receiving gifts? Here's a gift for the, for the twist. Yeah. I, isn't that interesting? They're, the fact that they would send each other gifts and like, did you hear? Those prophets are dead. Here, I, I'm sending you some, you know, here's a memo of what I got. Like, 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 we went awesome. through this couple of weeks ago. We don't get it, but yeah, when they buried Christ, when he was raised, yeah. Obviously, though, that's what the thing is, is their witnesses and the people aren't, no. They're not getting it. Well, that's and I think because that's they're rejoicing after they're dead. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's interesting. So they, I'm not never well, getting it. They never got it. That's because good you mentioned that. Yeah, I want to follow up. They don't get it now. Right. It, it said that these they were so happy because they tormented them. Yeah, yeah. It's just like well, they weren't. I mean, because I'm assuming what they were saying. Yeah. Not, is not what they wanted to hear, so right, that's why right. it torments yeah. them, you know? Right, like, right. Like, exactly. oh, how dare you tell us that we can't live, live the way that we want to live? Yeah, and, you know, yeah. Oh, you're telling and us that's that how they felt when Jesus died. Exactly. Words killed too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Say mm-hmm. Their words tormented the people. Yeah, yeah, so at the end of it, it says the yeah. two prophets, um, because the two prophets tormented those who dwelled on the earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's so, it's so strange. strange. I'm sure some of that torment had to do with the plagues that they were able yeah. to. Yeah. But I, I think I do believe, though, a lot of it was just what they were saying. They were yeah. probably calling them to repent. Calling them yeah. Back. And if we make that comparison with Jeremiah that we read last week about Jeremiah being his his words being like fire and the people being like wood, you know, he 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 has a similar thing that we read about in Revelation where he says the words of the Lord were found and he ate them and he was rejoicing to him. It was sweet like honey in his mouth. But then he's prophesying and the people want to kill him and he's like, What in the world, Lord? You know, why why am why are you making me go through this when the people don't want to hear it? You know, and we read in Ezekiel how God told Ezekiel, I'm sending you to the people of Israel, but they're not gonna listen to you. You know? <laughs> and so there's a there's a burning there's a there's a torment and it's the same word that's used for the locust tormenting the people five months isn't that crazy it's the same word they feel like they're tortured they're tormented uh, by these witnesses and uh, and uh, yeah I think that's that's very very significant that uh, that, that they feel that way I think that's what it is because ultimately they will blame them for all the stuff that's going on the earth because they yeah. said that they come from the God that's creating all this. Yeah, yeah. So they think if they kill them, then they've solved the solved the problem. Yeah, they're killing the masters. Right? Yeah. It's not going to stop the king from doing his job, though. Exactly. Yeah. So what you, what, um, it says the great city, which spiritually yeah. is called Sodom in Egypt. Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't get that either. 
So I want you guys spiritually, and we have to also think their spiritual aspect. So we got to look. So what happened to Sodom? They were destroyed. Egypt was ultimately destroyed too by the by the plagues because of their not willingness to repent. Oh, Egypt back in Moses. Yeah, it's spiritually called Sodom. Yeah, what was going on in Sodom? Which brings us back to the plagues that they're all great fornication and fornication and homosexual. Yeah, yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. Disobedience yeah. or something. Yeah. And think about the... The witnesses are able to what? Breathe fire out of their mouth and then they're bringing those same plagues. Why? Because it's the spiritual... It's the Sodom, spiritual it's Sodom. It's spiritual Sodom. In, in the Egypt. So... The Lord uses Sodom and Gomorrah a lot with his people by the prophets. He says, Isaiah says, except the Lord had left us a remnant, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. And, uh, and when we think about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis, um, they, when the two angels, remember, it's interesting, there's two angels that come into the city, right? The two angels come in and, uh, and their charge, remember, because God had already talked with Abraham, and what were they looking for? Remember? To see if there was any, yeah. righteous. any righteous. The Lord told Abraham he wouldn't destroy the city if there was even 10 righteous people there. So they go in and Lot finds them, Abraham's nephew. And he says, oh, come inside the house and, and I'll, I'll, you, know, I'll, I'll, you can stay with me. And the men of the city come around and they want, they want those two men they want to take them and have their way with them, right? Have their pleasure with them. And Lot won't, he's like, no, no, you know, brothers, don't do this. And, and, uh, and he's, they're, they're, it says they're going to break down the door. And he's like, Lot's offering up his daughters instead, which is a good dad mood. Dad, dad of the year there. It doesn't make sense, and, uh, except that maybe he thought they, they wouldn't take the daughters, because they only yeah, maybe, maybe that was his plan. I don't know. But he, uh, uh, so, but then the angels smite them with blindness, and they tell Lot and his family, like, you've got to get out of here now. And, um, and so Lot and his family, they go to uh, his sons-in-law, um, Lot's sons-in-law, and it says, he tells them, the city is going to be destroyed. And you, does anybody remember what the son-in-law's reaction was? They didn't believe him, and what else? Yeah. It says they, they, to him, to them, his words were like one who makes a joke, one who mocks. Scoffer? Yeah. yeah. So they, they laughed at Lot. They're like, oh, yeah, right. The city's going to be destroyed. And then it says that Lot and his family stayed so long that the angels had to physically grab them by the hands and pull them out of the city, like forcibly, and to, just to get them out of there. And so, and then he's like, and spiritually, this city is like Sodom. You know, that's a, that's a pretty bad indictment, right? That's destroyed with fire and brimstone. Yeah, and to Egypt. What's the comparison to Egypt? Think about slavery. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Hardening the hearts, killing all the firstborn of the Hebrews, right? Uh, that the slavery, the empire they're building, the and Moses goes and let my people go, right? That that same mentality is like spiritually the city's like Egypt. The city's like Sodom. The city's like Egypt. And then the, the next one is even more, and it's interesting too, if we're comparing to Moses and Elijah, Moses goes up against Pharaoh. A lot. Who does Elijah go up against? Who's Elijah prophesying to? Um, Jezebel. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, Jezebel's husband. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what he was. <laughs> Ahab and Jezebel, right? Ahab and Jezebel, who were in Israel, the, the place of God, but Elijah fulfills that Moses role to his own people. And he has to stand against all the wickedness that has come in Israel because of Ahab and Jezebel. And then that last part is a really strong indictment. Where also what? Well, where was our Lord crucified? Jerusalem. So he's saying, spiritually, the city is Sodom. It's Egypt, where our Lord was crucified, right? So what is, what is the idea behind that? What was the state of, this, of Jerusalem when the Lord was crucified there? Hard-hearted, not listening to the messenger, right? Not listening to the representative of God. Jesus, when he comes into the city in his triumphal, we call it his triumphal entry, and there's people waving palm branches, and the Pharisees are all nervous, and the Bible says Jesus was weeping as he rode in. And why was he weeping? Because he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long have I wanted to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you would not. If only you knew what belongs to your peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. You know, that was like the spiritual state of of Jerusalem when he's riding in there. So the, so whether it's Sodom or Egypt or Jerusalem, right, or Samaria, it's the same it's the same battle that the witnesses are standing against, you know? It's and it's the same temptation to ignore God's witnesses, to ignore God's voice, and because their words are are like fire, because their words are like tormenting them, they don't they they're happy when the witnesses are gone. It's the, it's the same thing we're against today. Yes, exactly. They're, they know better than the witnesses mm -hmm. because in their eyes, they have righteous, but... Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, yeah, it's strange because mm -hmm. it's, it's backwards. Like our words somehow torment them, but then they don't see what their lifestyles are doing to themselves. Exactly. It's so weird. It's weird that they're being tormented by demons two chapters ago, right? right? And then they're like, oh, the words of those witnesses are tormenting <laughs> us. <laughs> and it says they wouldn't repent over the words, of the, or over the torment from the scorpion things, you know? But these are tormenting, you know, these words of these witnesses, these... So, yeah. And we, I do think our society spiritually is like Sodom, is like Egypt, is like where our Lord was crucified. We're in, I think we are in the same boat. It's, and in, and we still have to stand as witnesses, even though we're in that same, facing that same kind of culture, that same kind of society. And, you know? and I think it's, and I, um, to understand like the, that society at the time, was it, uh, I think actually it was kind of convenient that Brother Dieter posted it today on his Facebook. You see, uh, like I think he like posted Second Timothy or something like that. Mm -hmm. First Timothy, for the last day, you'll see that people are lovers of themselves. And, yeah. You know, what, stuff like that. Yeah. And it kind of gives you an idea of what are these, you know, the idea of, uh, or the mindset of these people right, that we're right. talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, good. Yeah. That, that is a good description of the mindset. Yeah, because it doesn't specify in here in particular, but. Right. Yeah. So they, so they leave their bodies out. And, it is, and isn't it interesting? They don't leave their bodies out just three days. It's three and a half again, right? So there, there's this war well, that's going because on. That, isn't that because of that rule? You, could, you didn't bury the body until after three days? This is not a rule that we have now. I, to, to me, it's, it seems like they won't allow their dead bodies to be put in graves. Do you think they're... Well, I think after three days, then they put their bodies in a grave, so it had to be past the hope. But yeah, yeah they, they want, yeah. It, and it does seem like, yeah, it seems like there's a, uh, 
Because like in, with Lazarus, they put his body and with Jesus, they put their bodies in tombs right away. But there was that. There was that hope in you, you know, know only because they were they cool, still, and, but they didn't bury. They didn't go through that whole burial. Sure, sure. Back then, right? Yeah, yeah, but I do think that it's it's a dishonor like that that they're. To leave him out in the street. For example, like uh, Stephen, when Stephen is stoned, um, they. Uh, and that's another example where his he's speaking and then they stop their ears and they rush on him. And then um, then after he's stoned, it says devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. So there's something like honoring about putting them, giving them proper burial, you know, and I think the I think the fact that they're leaving them out in the street shows that they're just rejoicing over these dead bodies. They just they're and, and in, in biblical culture. Um, if you wanted to dishonor somebody, uh, you would like dig up their bones and spread them out in the face of the sun. Like that, there's a there, in the prophets that happens. Like, uh, I mean, isn't that yeah. like still dishonorable? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was it was a way to like just show humiliation. that it, humiliation. Yeah. And that was okay. It's just so like they're trying to like prove a point that somehow these people that were so great men of yeah. God are actually weak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, yeah, look at look at them now. Look at their dead bodies. Look, look at him on the cross. He saved others, but himself he cannot save. You know, they're look at them lying. They're not breathing fire now. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's trying to set an example. Trying to to trying to yeah, but this time they think they've got. This time when it happens, the world can see every second. Not that I popped into your rules. Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. It says they see. No, but that's what I see. Because of our technology now. Even for a reason, for all this, (laughs) the world can see. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They see. Yeah. Because it's not just about that they're dead. It's about actually who. Who's dead? Was allowed to kill them. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, they do see it as victory. It looks like the beast has won. Okay. So now let's read the next part. Eleven through. 14. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up here. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the, and the tenth part of the city fell, and in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand. And the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe comes quickly. Okay, we just got through the sixth trumpet. That was the second, all of that was the second woe. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Okay. So, what happens? Another earthquake. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think it just happens. So after after they're like, after they're, after they're, they're all praying and they're gloating of their death. Mm-hmm. They see these people come alive and then they're like, you know, they thought they were, you know, victorious over these people, but then they realize that. Yeah. The power came oh, to there's them. more. Yeah, there's more. Yeah. yeah. Something else going on. Well, how cool that would see to see God breathe life. Uh, yeah. Just like uh, Adam. He just yeah, breathed yeah, life. Just like Adam. Yeah. Oh, it's like Jesus rose after three and a half days. Yeah, that's what I think it's going yeah. on. It's like a, but it's no one a saw him. Surprise that. They're, that they're alive again, but then the great fear is that they are alive again. Because oh, yeah, they, yeah. They realize that they were just being, you know, gloating their death and so excited and not uh, Well, not just that, but two men just rose from the dead. And the world, I'm sure, will see every second. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it's not just uh, that, you know, and nobody came and, and resurrected them. They just, the Spirit of God breathes into them and they stand on their feet again <laughs> in the city. Well, they, they hear the voice, of course. Yeah, yeah after they're yeah. 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 Come up here. Come up here. Yeah, yeah come, come on. Come on. The and if they heard medicine. the voice, everyone has to hear the voice, sorry. Yeah, well, so, yeah that's, that's my question. You, so, well, it, was it just them that heard it, or did everyone hear it? Uh, they heard a great voice saying it to them. Mine says, then a loud voice shouted from heaven. And Michael, you love my translation, always. Yeah, ours says they heard. Yeah, they ascended up. And they heard the feet, then they heard So I don't know if they were talking about they and the two witnesses, or they as everyone that was present. Well, and then immediately there was an earthquake. And the enemies beheld them. I, yeah, the enemies are definitely seeing them stand on their feet and then ascend up in the cloud. And That's yeah, definitely they were afraid because all of a sudden they were yeah. the power that they thought they had victory. All of a sudden they were oh, like mm -hmm. they just yeah. Yeah, and that's that's what I love so much about this part because the uh, it looks like at first it looks like the witnesses are invincible. And then they're not, and then they die, and the story's the story gets dark. But then the story continues, and there's well, resurrection. I have a Bible, but it's, and they can point to that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's like Jesus; he rules after yes. three. Yeah, exactly. most of the Jews don't read kind of like a parallel or a. It's a prophecy that what happened. It is. It's Jesus paved the way so that this could happen, right? Jesus, because uh, it's not just that, like, oh, that's great that that happened one time in history, that one man, you know, rose from the dead and ascended up into heaven. It's like, no, he set the precedent. He's, he's called the first fruits, right? The first fruits from the dead. In fact, at the beginning of Revelation, that's what he was called, the first fruits from the dead. And so he is, so now they are following in his footsteps, literally, right? These two witnesses. And that's a promise for every one of us, right? That's a promise of resurrection for all of us that we're going to, if we believe that he died and rose again, we believe that those who die with him will also be resurrected, right? That's the, that's the same kind of story that we're living in and that ascension and all of that. That's all part of what, what we get to experience as well. The fact that they rise up on a cloud, and obviously we're thinking of Jesus doing that, right? Rising up on a cloud. Um, and even, even another, again, Elijah, like going up in that chariot of fire, you know, in a whirlwind, that, that, that comes to my mind as well. But that voice come up hither, why do you think, so why do you think, regardless of like who, who's hearing it, why, why the voice from heaven come up hither? Any ideas or thoughts or any, 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 we've seen that before, that exact phrase. Where have we seen it before? Yeah, it's in, um, oh, good job. Ezekiel. Where at? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no. He got told. Right after the letters to the seven churches, the heavens open and John hears a voice saying, come up hither. And that's how he's able to see all this stuff, right? And now in the middle of the book, we see the same thing happening. The heavens are open and the voice come up hither and they're rising up on a cloud. 
uh, to go up into heaven. So that's that's pretty interesting. And who was on Kings and Acts? Why did you reference those? Uh, so Kings was Elijah going up in the chariot of fire and a whirlwind, and Acts was Jesus going up in the cloud, um, and the disciples watching him till the clouds received out of his out of their sight. And, yeah, then, and Moses also they uh, they never found his bones. Yeah, right? and, and it's kind of cool because he ascends up into a mountain, and then they just never see him again. Is it, what yeah. mountain is that? So, no, it. Uh, so a lot of people just took him up. Well, it says it says that the Lord buried him. It says, but nobody knows where his body is. That's like what what it says. But it's it's kind of a cool picture of Moses going up into the clouds, up into the mountain, and then they they don't. And there's there is a Jewish tradition that um, he didn't die and he was taken up like Elijah. But the problem is Deuteronomy says he died and the Lord buried him, and so they that, that's an uncomfortable. Buried him in heaven. Yeah. Well, and there is that verse where uh, you know the devil's yeah. disputing with. Michael, the archangel over the body of Moses, you know? So what happened? How does, what is uh, the devil do with the body? I know. It's dead. Why did, why did he care? Well, you know how they have all those satanic sacrifices and stuff. Yeah, it's very weird. Very <laughs> weird. Okay, um, any other thoughts about this part? Um, I like the, the visual of the cloud because the, they, they, the Bible or God uses the cloud as in a lot of different circumstances like the... Um, when they were in the, in the wilderness, right? Mm-hmm. And there was a pillar that was a cloud by day yes, and a yeah. fire by night. Oh, the cloud was right? leading them so the, That to cloud them. just kind of represents God's presence. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So they can take it up into God's presence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, I like that too. And uh, we'll see We'll see more cloud riding. Well, I, think uh, keep going. I think it gives everybody right? that, well, that visual. Because, you know, sometimes, of course, in the spiritual, a lot of people don't see, but then once there's this visual, it's just some, something for them to see. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to say uh, where it comes and it says, the remnant were affrighted and mm. gave glory to the God of heaven. Yeah. So what? Uh, so yeah. Think, I mean, they gave glory to God, but do you think they were repenting? Yeah. more. The remnant. the remnant were affrighted. And the remnant of what? So it's the same hour. There was a great earthquake. And the 10th part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men 7,000. Why do you think he brings up how many people were killed in the earthquake? Because it's significant that it's a large number. So then so the remnant 7, was maybe some... certain, a smaller group that oh, was yeah. left and they saw it. Okay. 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 No, that doesn't happen. That is. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's me as I'm studying a lot. I mumble that to myself. No, that doesn't. Uh, what? Uh, yeah. Any? Uh, do we have any thoughts about the seven thousand where we've seen that before? Maybe in connection with somebody we've been talking about. There's been lots of allusions to. John. Yeah. <laughs> You guys are just guessing. <laughs> well, so there is a significant story, like story, with Elijah and seven thousand, and um, and with Elijah. Remember when Elijah got depressed that nobody was listening to him, and after they had, he had this great uh, where fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice, and it was proven, you know, that uh, God was the God of Israel. And then Jezebel's like, "I don't care, we're gonna kill Elijah anyway," and he runs out into the wilderness. And he thinks he's alone, but there's stuff. Let me your cheat sheet. Yeah, it's First Kings. Yeah, do you have it? Do you want to read it? 
back to my non-cheat sheet. Hey, they work. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto all, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Okay, so in Elijah's day, and he, and the, the context of that verse is that he's complaining. He's like, God, I'm the only prophet left. There is no one else. And God, Elijah said that. John was the last prophet. Well, this was back way before John was born. Yeah. And so Elijah felt like he was the, he was the last one and there was nobody left. And God says, hey, I've still got 7,000 that have not bowed to Baal. I've still got 7,000 lips that haven't kissed that statue, right? Um, and then it's interesting because in the very next chapter, Ahab numbers the men of Israel to go fight and there's 7,000. And so I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then at the very end of the book, there's a number of, Second Kings, the number of the remnant that's carried off to Babylon is 7,000. And so in Kings, it seems like 7,000 represents the remnant of the faithful. But that's different than what we're reading here, right? It's inverted. Yeah. Because it's 7,000 that die in the earthquake and the remnant give glory to God. So it's still the remnant, but and 7,000 die in the earthquake. So what? It's 10%. Yeah, and a tenth of the city falls. Yeah. So 70,000. Well, I mean, I don't know if that's the, a tenth of the people. Yeah, a tenth of the city falls and 7,000 die. Um, so. I don't know if it was a tenth of the population. What's that? And the remnants always was what's left. Yeah. The survivors. But it is cool that even though it's not a direct parallel, the, the word 7,000 and remnant makes me think back to that story of Elijah. It was like in, in Elijah's day, it seemed like nobody wanted to follow God. It seemed like nobody was listening uh, and they're wanting to kill the one witness that's able to call down fire from heaven, right? And yet... God says, nope, I still got a remnant. I have 7,000. And here in Revelation, I do think that this is a turning point for people. They give glory to the God of heaven. Because what have we seen from people before this point? They still didn't Yeah, in chapter 9, and they still didn't repent of their sorceries. And in chapter 6, it's like, who will save us from the wrath of the Lamb and the wrath of the one sitting on the throne? And they're saying to the mountains and hills, fall on us, you know? This seems like a big contrast to me, to those other ones. So the question is, though, you would, would you think that most of these are their Jews? Because this is Israel? Um, possibly. What's happening, right? Well, they're outside the temple. Yeah, but it is, say, the holy city. It's the city. But it also says that the holy city has been given over to the Gentiles to be trampled underfoot. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. It, and it doesn't specify, but I think it is significant that there is a remnant that gives glory to God. I think that's, I think that's important. There's a remnant that gives glory to God. And I also think it's important the reason they give glory to God. They won't give glory, like the people in the previous chapters won't give glory in that first earthquake when the judgments are happening. They don't give, they don't repent after the trumpets and the, and the locust swarms of demons and the, the plagues and the, the sixth part of people dying. I mean, the third part of people dying. But they do give glory to God after they see two witnesses that die for the Lord. And then the Lord raises them up and they ascend up into heaven. And then there is an earthquake that follows that. 
right? And the people are scared, but the remnant of the Lord. So those people had an hour to repent. Yeah, yeah. The time's getting shorter and shorter, yeah. right? But I do think it's significant that they repent because of the witnesses that die and the Lord brings back, even though they didn't repent from the plagues. Or it doesn't say they repented. It says they gave glory to God. But I do think that is a big contrast, right? They gave glory to the God of heaven, which they haven't been doing. So they acknowledge him? They acknowledge him. Yeah, they say, okay. Because before they're like, oh, these witnesses are tormenting us. And, and we'll see later on, they're going to blaspheme the name of the God of heaven. Uh, people in later chapters are going to blaspheme the name. But here, there is a little bright spot, I think. They're giving glory to the God of heaven. They're recognizing, okay, this, the, this is real because of what we saw from these witnesses. Yeah. And I think that should be encouraging to us too. Yeah, it should. You know, that our witness can have some effect. Just like our prayers we saw have effect because they're, they're in the censer that gets thrown down to the earth. Our witness also, I think, can have, have an effect in people giving glory to God. That's our, that's our goal. We want people to give glory to the God of heaven. I have a question. So the remnant, is that supposed to be God's remnant that's still on earth, or is that the remnant of the city? In the context, what do you guys think? It seems to me like it's the remnant of the city. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think the word remnant is an accident there. But remnant, isn't that usually smaller? Because 7,000 fell, but that was only 10% or whatever, right? Yeah, 10% of the city. Well, they were... 7,000 was 10% of the city? No, it doesn't say it was 10% of the city. It says 10% of the city fell, and then in the earthquake... Wait, that's, 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 where, that's where I got confused earlier, because I thought okay. it meant 10%, but it's like a tenth of the city, so, but it's not the A tenth of the city was destroyed by the earthquake. So they fell, right? So they did all that. Not a tenth of the people, right? That's, that's where I got confused It's not a tenth of the people. Yeah. But either way, a remnant is smaller. Yeah, right. Yeah, a remnant's usually smaller, so smaller than the 7,000. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's smaller than what was or not. It's the, the ones that are left. The remnant is what's left. Right. Okay, the remnant yeah. are what's left, and it could be bigger than 7,000? It could. I think it could in, in this case. And if it is, so the remnant, if the remnant's smaller, then it's following the pattern that it usually is. Usually the remnant is smaller. Um, if it's not, if this is inversing the, the remnant that was 7,000 in Elijah's day, but now it's the remnant... There's 7,000 that die, but the remnant gives glory to God. Okay. It could be a reversal, be a reversal you know? If, if 7,000 was 10%, yeah. then the remnant would be 90%. If that was true, and then that would be, a, that would be like oh, right. a huge deal, you know? Right, right, right. And so, um, like, I would say all of Israel, what shall we say? Like, I want to look at this, like, hopefully, you know? But, and so I'm not saying that what I just said is true necessarily, uh, it just says the remnant, you know, but I do think it's, I do think we should be encouraged by that verse, I guess, is my, that's, that's where I come to. When I read this and I look at the witnesses, I get encouraged because they stand even though they die, but even though they die, they rise from the dead and they ascend to heaven and there's an impact that's made, you know, like that, that's a, that's an encouraging thought, I think. Yeah. And because of the difference in response from previous before, I'm guessing. And it, yeah, it, just, exactly. It made me think of the rapture because, you know, if, ever, if 
everybody watches, you know, a bunch of people go up. Yeah, the that's gonna make them. Yeah, and here it's the two witnesses going up, and I do love that the enemies beheld them. It says there's something about that phrase that I just like to say. We're like the enemies saw it. You know, the enemies were beholding it. They. In the presence of my enemies, the Lord has prepared a table, you know? Because that makes you wonder about, about them in general. It's like, does oh, you guys have one in the long term? Does that like see Because, you know, they, it's been so long. I don't know. And, I, and, 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 and that's kind of left unanswered, pretty yeah. much, definitely. Like, what happens in the end? Well, and as we keep reading, let's, let's look for that. Let's look for that as we keep going through Revelation. Yeah. I just think they're holding on to them because they wanted to go to heaven with them. I don't, I don't know if they're there yet, but... Okay, so let's wrap this up. Um, and to wrap it up, I just want to remind us, like, the big picture of the sixth trumpet. Because we saw the trumpets have shown me God's, it's God's judgment, but tempered with mercy in the sense that he's giving people a chance, right? That's that's what, that's, with us. No, I don't think he's playing with us. I think we're playing with him, and he's yeah. giving us a long time to get our act together. I think he's like... Hey, I'm giving you, a, this is the sixth warning, you know, <laughs> like, he doesn't have to give us that many warnings, you know, he should have wiped us out in the first trumpet, probably, and, and, you know. And the, and the issue is the continuous, people don't see it that Right, but in thinking about the trumpets, the first five trumpets we read about in short sections, right, and the first five trumpets, um, the focus wasn't on men dying, even though there were people that died, we talked about. But the, focus, the judgment was on the earth. It was on the sea. It was on the waters. It was on the sun, moon, and stars. And then people were tormented but not dying. And not till the sixth trumpet is the goal for a third part of men to die. But it's interesting that in this second woe, in this sixth trumpet, in addition to a third part of men dying, there is also two witnesses that are prophesying. And there's a result at the end of the sixth trumpet because um, in the middle of the sixth trumpet, it said people didn't repent. At the end of the sixth trumpet, it says there's a remnant that gives glory to God. So there, there's in the, in the one where the judgment's falling the hardest so far, then there's two witnesses that are there prophesying, right? And I think that that's important to highlight. All right, let's pray. The, what, we'll, what we're picking up with next week is we'll finally see the seventh angel sound. And we saw in chapter 10... That there's, well, what we'll do next time is we'll, we'll review uh, what, what he said would happen when the seventh angel sounds. And then we're going to start going through it. It's pretty, pretty interesting. Pretty okay. crazy. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this Bible study. Thank you for this group, Lord. And I'm encouraged by what we've read here. Lord, we want to be your witnesses. We want to do what you would have us to do, God. I, I pray that we would, uh, would, would receive your message out of this and that we would live our lives in accordance with how you want us to live, um, that people would, from our witness, give glory to you and recognize that you are who you say you are and that there is a, there is a God and uh, that he is good and loving. I pray that you would use us to communicate that message. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.